0: The following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. It was the Titanic, and she was sinking. Women and children were being ushered to the lifeboats, and men were standing watch and waiting to die. One lifeboat was about to be loaded. One of the women said to the steward, can I go to my, my stateroom? And he said, well, yes, you can to get a missing item that she wanted to get, but we're not going to wait, so you got to get back. And so she hurriedly, with a panicked haste, she got out of the boat, ran to her upper level stateroom, got into her room, opened her top drawer, pushed aside her jewelry, pushed aside all her valuables, And grabbed, are you ready for this? Three oranges. Got back to the boat in time to get in and got into the boat, a lifeboat. True story. Interesting enough, when life is on the line, when you're facing eternity, when it's a death or life situation, your priorities change. Do they not? What was massively valuable to her, all her jewelry, all her massive wealth, meant nothing at this particular point. What meant something is, I don't know how long I'm going to be in a lifeboat, I better bring some food, I better get it now, and went and got that, the things that were not valuable at all. It's true with us who are on this massive ship called the world, which is sinking into judgment, and the only lifeboat that we have is Jesus Christ. When we begin to understand that, our priorities change, do they not? The things that the world values, we don't value as much anymore. The things that were not of any value to us in the past now become massively valuable. What would you say would be the things that you value most? When I talk to believers, especially at End in Life, I hear three things constantly. Faith, family, and friends. My faith, my relationship with Jesus Christ, my family who I adore and and pray for and desire that they would know Christ and my friends in the same boat. I want them to be right with God as well. Maybe you'd say, I, I just really value the gospel and wanting to make sure that there are people who hear the gospel and know the gospel and respond to the gospel. Maybe you'd say, It's the Word of God. I want the Word of God to build up. To encourage because that's eternal. That's going to last forever. The flower fades, the grass with, you know, the withers, the flower withers, but the Word of God endures forever. It's it's eternal. Uh, Maybe it's just loving and building up brothers and sisters in Christ and making sure that that is what's happening. That's eternal. Listen, our priorities change when our hearts are internally transformed. Christianity is not a Uh, an external thing it is something that when God does it he changes your internal person your heart your nature is new and when it is new it desires new things and interesting enough why don't all those who claim to know Christ change it seems like sometimes they're still valuing the world in some measure or we're unsure as to where they're at. I, I give some suggestions in your outline, take a look at them. There are some of us, in fact, I shouldn't say some of us, all of us in this room struggle because of earthly priorities. Earthly priorities. We have work to provide our families. We gotta parent our kids. We gotta clean the house. We've got to buy and prepare food. We gotta maintain the yard. We gotta fix what's broken. Some of you have to attend classes, pass tests, play sports, maintain friendships. There's so much to do here on earth. Sometimes, is it not difficult for us to remember eternal things? Can you say amen to that? It's a struggle. We do struggle with that. Number two, others struggle because they really do love the world. Maybe they have prayed a prayer once, they had an experience with Jesus, but they're not born again. They haven't been renewed of nature Their will hasn't been broken. They've not submitted to Christ. They haven't responded in repentance and faith. And therefore, they don't have Christ. And in not having Christ, they're going to love the things of the world. They want what the world offers and not what the Word orchestrates and what Jesus would then desire us to pursue. There are some who call themselves believers, and they are, but they have not been taught the truth. They have not been modeled the truth. They've never seen a Christian who lived eternally. They've never really been taught the Word of God in such a way where they begin to understand that our values that we have in Christ now are different than the world, and therefore they live marginally instead of exceptionally. They, they experience little joy. They miss the abundant blessing that comes with obedience to God's Word. And then a fourth reason there in your outline is that there are many of you who are progressing, progressing, You know, the Bible promises that true believers, every single true believer will overcome the world, will overcome the world. So you see a decreasing focus of the things of the world and an increasing priority to the commands of Christ and eternal things. Which one are you? This morning, we're in the midst of a study of the doctrine of the church and how the church is light and salt in a dark and dreary and tasteless world. How do we become attractive? Well, we can't talk about all those things, but in this series, we're trying to highlight many of them that are, in a sense, contrary to the, not only our culture, but contrary to the Christian culture, that, that, that even you don't hear it much in other places in Christianity, and therefore, yet it's found in the Word, and we want to highlight some of those things. Last week, we studied the attractive commitment to doctrine. Today, we're going to study the necessary commitments to Christ's priorities, The priorities for his bride, the church, you and I. As the people of God, you and I exist in a community called the local church. We're a part of that, and Christ has very specific priorities that each of us are to be committed to, to function as a part of the local church. Now, we can't cover, like I said, every single one of them, but we'll highlight a few today and understand these are not the most convenient things. These are also Not the most urgent things, but they are the most important things. Most important things. What would they be? Well, number one in your outline, if you're tracking with me, and that would be that a church and the members of it are to submit to a plurality of elders, seeking the headship of Christ. Read these passages with me and really try to understand what God had in mind for a church family. What is the structure of the church family? family, he says in Hebrews thirteen seventeen, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will, what? They're going to give an account. Wow. Let them do this with joy and not with, say it, grief, for this would be unprofitable, not for them, but for you. First Peter 5, 1, I exhort the elders among you. Acts twenty twenty eight. be on guard for yourselves elders and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Who makes overseers? Who makes elders? Answer, the Holy Spirit. He's the one. We're trying to recognize that today and acknowledge His work. And they are to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Titus 1, 5. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Acts fourteen twenty three. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, each church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. You're going to see that today if you come. The assumption of the New Testament, though, is that every Christian in this room is really immersed I have actually five eyes, interconnected, intertwined, immersed, and involved in a local church. That is God's design. The idea of a Christian today not actually immersed and engaged in a local church is actually totally foreign to the New Testament. Are you with me on this? Completely foreign. It is the norm today, but it is not the New Testament teaching. It is opposed to that. God's Word is telling that the style that we see in Christendom today is absolutely incorrect. You're not to be isolated. You're, you're not to be independent. You're not to be insulated Christians. You are to be immersed, and as you're immersed, you're involved in submission to elders who are responsible to establish the direction and the doctrine of that particular local church family. To submit means to rank yourself under and obey them, and therefore the New Testament teaches that submission is a part of our lives. Christians submit to God, Christians submit to each other, wives submit to husbands, saints submit to Christ, uh, citizens submit to government, believers submit to elders. It's all in there. It's actually in the character of God that Christ himself even submitted to the Father after the incarnation. So what do Christians then do about this well we've come up with funny governments when the new testament is really clear did you notice from these passages all of them and i didn't list all of them at no time does the scripture call you to submit to one leader in the church notice every single one of the passages when it calls elders or overseers which is the same office that's in the plural it's not elder it's elders a plurality. Under the headship of Christ, not one passage in the New Testament teaches you that it is one leader, one pastor, one senior pastor. The leadership of the New Testament is always described as a plurality, a unity, a team of elders. That is the New Testament design for church leadership, and we don't see it very often. Each elder has different giftedness, different strengths, Some elders are pastor-teacher types, others are leader-trainers, some have gifts of mercy, others exhort, but each one brings the strength of Christ and each one carries their own weaknesses and their own sin bends. Everyone. And yet, that team together, that plurality, that unity, that team of men seek to determine the will of Christ for that local church through prayer, through the study of God's word. Elders are the under-shepherds under the great shepherd. In fact, elders are seeking to follow the headship of the head of the church who is Christ himself, as men you can trust, as men who are in character, be able to be qualified and follow them. Maybe you're used to elders functioning as kind of a a board of directors under a single CEO. That's the most common expression. Or like sheriffs who police the church, or they keep it orderly, or like men who seek positions so they can boss everybody around. But the genuine elder knows to shepherd the body biblically that they have to be actually uh, seeking god's wisdom functioning like a father under the great father our god himself and do so by listening to the church family talking to each other determining together in total agreement through prayer through the word we call it unanimity all the decisions concerning doctrine and direction listen elders don't concern themselves with the color of the carpet they don't concern themselves with what car you should drive, a Tesla. So they don't do that. <laughs> they only concern themselves with the doctrine of the church and the direction of the church. All the other things, they allow those things to be find their way. And obviously, uh, gifted people you know, are involved in those things. We trust each other in ministry, uh, areas of oversight. We trust each other with personal preferences. But when it comes to doctrine and direction of the church... Basically, they are one heart, one mind together. You need to understand that an eldership is to function as fathers of a large family. And they do this in unanimity together. One heart, one mind. They, they don't disagree and we don't move on until we agree. And understand they seek to be men of character and understand they will fail you. You will find flaws. They will be men who are not perfect men, but they are men who function together together And seek to understand the will of Christ for our church. And God says, in order for us to function together as a family, then you are to submit to them. Thank you to the vast majority of you who, uh, according to Hebrews here, 13, let us do that with joy and not grief. Thank you for that. But it is a priority that we function together as a family because that's what glorifies God. As Jesus prayed that they might be one as we are one. And that's the desire. That we are one so we glorify God. Our Heavenly Father, but that would be number one that you are committed to that. You're involved in that you're connected to a local church number two You are interconnected to the body of believers Interconnected to the body of believers now look around you go ahead look down your aisle Come on. Look at the person next to you and, and say aren't they different? Come on. Would you agree? They're different some of you are going yeah way Different can I change seats? Okay interesting enough here we are. I mean, some of you drive 10 minutes, some of you drive 40 minutes. Anybody drive more than 40 minutes to get here? Oh, wow. Okay. You get extra bonus lunch today. Okay, so. That's amazing. We're all from different homes, different jobs, different marriages, different kids, different cars, different race. But if we're in Christ, and this is your church home, then we're one body. One. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Even as the body is one... Yet has, what? All these different members. Yet all the members of the body, though they are many, many members, they are, what? One body, so also is Christ. Ephesians four fifteen and 16, it says, Him who is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Listen, today... In your physical body, you've got lungs, you've got a heart, you've got a liver, you've got a spleen. Well, just like that in the spiritual body, we got Kevin, we got Darcy, uh, we got uh, Frank, we got Cindy, we got Megan making up the spiritual body. Everyone is a part, a member of the whole body. You belong to the whole body. And you and I individually desperately need the body to survive. Right? No liver is going to remain outside the body for very long without becoming corrupt or to die. And no body can survive without a liver. We desperately need one another. We are to be spiritually and relationally intertwined, involved in each other. So dependent. I was just at Yosemite and and we watched mountain climbers going up uh, El Capitan. Anybody with me? El Capitan, the largest single monolith of granite in the world. All right. It's straight up. And you can bet your boots that these guys are roped together, roped together in such a way that if one fails, the other two can catch them. That's how we're supposed to be. Somebody fails, there's others that are going to right there to catch you. That's how interconnected we're supposed to be. The early church, they gathered on Sunday, but they also gathered from house to house. And we know this for instruction, but we also know it for relationship. People were in relationship, just like our community groups. And that is why we help each other to flee sin, to pursue Christ. Understand, we know, we know, don't, do we not, that we each in this room are saints who sin. Would you say amen to that? We are sinners still. Before we get to heaven, we are still manifesting sin. We're still in that battle with sin. Therefore, that makes relationships, are you ready? Write it down, messy. They're messy. They're difficult. They don't always smooth, and that's why we help each other flee sin. We help each other pursue Christ. And we love one another, and our love covers a multitude of sins. We understand, unless it's intentional, that we overlook things in our lives. Because we're to know each other, love each other, serve each other. You realize there are over 40. How many? 40 one another's in the New Testament. Look at some of them in your outline. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Be devoted to... To one another. What's that word? Say it with me. What is it? Devoted. Are you devoted? No, not really. When you think about devotion, you think about, oh, I'm devoted to my spouse. I'm devoted to my kids. You might be crazy enough to be devoted to your job or something like that. But we don't normally think about that concerning our church. But Christ did. He wants us devoted to the family of God. Devoted. That we're together in this. That we work out our differences, that we wrestle, that we grow together, devoted. Look what he says, accept one another. In the midst, do people in this room have different preferences than you? Yes or no? Yes, they do. And in the context of that, he says, accept one another. Just say, oh, well, fine, you got different preferences, fine. You can do that, I can't do that, it's fine. Whatever. Romans fifteen fourteen: admonish one another. Galatians 5.13, serve one another. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another. Philippians 2.3, regard one another as what? More important than yourselves. First Thessalonians 4.18, comfort one another. Uh, Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another. 1 John 4.7, love one another. You belong to the body, and these people are your peeps. They're your people. You need them, and they need you. The local church is to be closer than a family that actually likes each other. Brothers and sisters, one in Christ. This is what Christ was praying for—that they would be one as we are one. Why doesn't this happen? Are you ready? There's a lot of reasons. The main one is pride. Pride—we don't think we need each other. Uh, we think that preaching is enough. We we think that you know knowing a few others is sufficient, and and that you know that we can take her to leave it. It's just an organization. It's like the gym—I can work out or I can skip it. But understand, the body analogy is you're a liver and you're not going to make it as a Christian and you're not going to survive unless you're interconnected to the body. You see, I, I realize that. I realize that, I, I, that God is glorified, that Christ is seen, that Christians experience joy and love when they're in to one another. But you need to understand that, that your involvement with the body of Christ is more than what you think and it's more than what you say. It actually has manifested your priorities in what you do. Are you devoted to each other? Think about the head and think about the body. And think about the diseases that occur in our society now that basically the the body doesn't listen to the head anymore. So the body spazzes, The body does its own thing. And we consider that physically challenged or handicapped because it's not working rightly. What kind of picture do we give the world of the body seeking to function under the orders of the head? They should see us as organized, as on the same page, as one heart, one mind, doctrine and direction, and not doing our own thing, but doing what God says, doing what the Bible says, and functioning together. That would be number two. Number three, to faithfully serve by finding and developing your giftedness, by finding and developing your giftedness. And in his amazing love for you and for me, the Spirit of God actually gifted you the moment you became a Christian with a spiritual gift. The spiritual gift is a God-given ability for service within the body. That's the definition that comes right out of 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 7. It's a God-given ability for service within the body and you learn and serve with your giftedness is a New Testament command. It's not an option. It is a priority. Take a look at what he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be what? Unaware. Don't be unaware. Each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit For themselves? No. For the common good, for everyone else. Romans chapter 12, verse 6. For we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. God has graced you, given you. You're to exercise your gift. It's to serve in such a way as to show off Jesus Christ. When you teach and you're gifted to teach, then you show the world what it was like when Jesus taught or you give them a little glimmer of what it's like as Christ the teacher. If you're merciful and you're gifted as mercy, then when you mercy somebody, you're demonstrating what Christ was like when he showed compassion. With every gift, you're putting Christ on display. And if everyone functions in the way that God designed you to function as a Christian, then the whole world sees through this local body more of Jesus Christ. And as we see more of Jesus Christ, we become more like Christ. A classic for young pastors is to somebody come up to them and go, you know, our church isn't, isn't, isn't compassionate enough. They're just not compassionate enough. You know what that clue is? That young pastor needs to say to that person, you must be gifted with compassion. Because we always filter everything we see through our giftedness. And so they're looking at the church going, we're not compassionate enough. Why? Because they're compassionate. Because that's the way God made them. And so as a challenge, that young pastor should say to that person, well, you know what? What we need is for you to put your compassion on display so we can all become more compassionate. The issue is don't tell us to be more compassionate. Show us what it's like and you will influence us. Does that make sense? That's giftedness. Understand spiritual gifts are not extra. Gifts are not only for the mature. Gifts and service are not if you have time. They are a priority. In fact, take a look at First Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11 and pick this apart. Look what it says. It says, as each one, you know what that means? It means as each one. As each one of you has received, that's past tense, so at the point of your salvation, you received a special gift. It was already as the moment the Spirit of God caused you to be born again. He says, employ it in serving one another. They're not for you. For you to use in service to others. You give yourself away. That's the mystery of Christianity. It's not gimme, gimme, gimme. But as you give yourself away, God blesses you. So you give yourself away as a good steward. You're to be a faithful steward of your giftedness. And it's a stewardship of the manifold grace of God. Your gift is unique. It's from the main gift list. And understand it is a unique combination from the different paints on the palette, so to speak. God put you together like a snowflake, and you're interesting and unique in the way that you're gifted. But whoever speaks, let him do so as speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so serving in the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be what? Glorified. So it is spiritual gifts are to be used for the glory of God in the strength or the power of the Spirit, and then it is through, are you ready? Jesus Christ it is through Christ to whom belongs the glory dominion forever and ever in other words Christ gets all the glory Christ is the one who's on display you discover your gift as you serve as God's people affirm the unique fruitfulness that comes out of you again we've said this a hundred times right if you think you're compassionate and you go to the hospital and you leave and and after you leave that person in the hospital bed they want to die that's not your gift okay that, that's not. If you think you're a leader and you're moving this way, just look behind you. If anybody's, nobody's following you, you're not a leader. If you're a teacher and everybody says, please don't teach anymore, tears their clothes and, and throws dust on the ground and says, no, please stop it, stop it, you're killing me, you're not a teacher. Understand that is your giftedness. As you serve, the body begins to acknowledge. They begin to see fruit. They encourage you along in this direction. So don't treat the present that the Holy Spirit gave you at the point of salvation like that present you got at your birthday that you didn't like. Treat it as a sovereign gift that you're a steward of that he wants to display himself and here's the great thing. If you don't do it, if you don't pursue this, if you don't find out what it is, you're missing one of the greatest gifts that Christ has given you. Because as you give yourself away in your giftedness, there's an incredible joy that comes from that that is absolutely unbelievable. And you'll be tired, you'll be worn out, but you will be blessed beyond comprehension. And that's what God is glorified by. For some of you, you may have to say no to lesser priorities so that you can actually pursue God's greater priority of manifesting your giftedness it is a stewardship it is a blessing to you and to others and you you want to treat it as a priority in your life start praying start serving start asking the body and start being blessed in a big way number four in your outline this is fun to sacrificially give of your resources Give of your resources. The clearest indication of your heart maturity is how faithfully and sacrificially you give. And the New Testament is filled with exhortations for believers to give. Genuine believers have a heart to give. And though they're afraid and sometimes we're greedy, all of us battle with that, we want to give a lot to the purposes of Christ. And that's 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. What's he say? He says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also... On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save, each one of you, as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. God's word teaches us regular, systematic giving, set aside money for your offering to the Lord. It's, It's part of a manifestation of your heart. It is what God has done in your life, whether it's online, whether it's the offering boxes that are outside. Verse two says, "On the first day of every week, the tense is put aside. Keep putting aside the tenses. Keep saving. Be consistent. Make it a regular part of who you are. Giving away is absolutely vital to your spiritual life." He says in verse two, "Each one of you, regular giving is for everyone, not just the wealthy." But every single one, whether you're rich as Zacchaeus or you're as poor as the widow, everyone is to give. And he says, let each of you put aside and save. That means that you make sure that it's marked out, that it's designated for offerings that you give away. And typically the first of your income, the first of your budget, on the first day of the week, which means it's connected to worship. It's part of our worship. And if we don't give properly, we can't really worship properly, and then you say, well, Chris, how much should I give? That's a great question. Verse 2 answers it. He says this. Look at the phrase, as you may prosper. Say that with me. Ready? As you may prosper. It means you give how well you're doing, according to how you're doing. Giving is to be proportionate to what you receive, as you may prosper. It's a grace. You're not under the law. It's not 10%. It's whatever the Lord leads you, but as you prosper, are you not, yes, definitely not under the law, but you're not without the law of love and part of your heart is to express giving. And that means your giving is not because you have to, not because you ought to, but true Christians give because they want to. Do you? See, God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. But once he has your heart, he's got your money. He'll be first with every pay period, with every raise, with every financial planning. This is pastors, elders, everybody. Even in my will, God is first. Christians are those who financially, faithfully, preparedly, sacrificially give. Look at the attitude of heart. It tells us the heart in second Corinthians 9, 6, and 7. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap what? Sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap what? Bountifully. Each one must do as he purposed in his heart. Not what the preacher says, but what God says to you in your heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Listen, as you start to give, God starts to order your finances. Trust me. He will order your finances. And then, and I'm going to sound like some sort of TV preacher here, okay? But as you give, God gives back to you. He does it, and he does it every time. It may not be in what you expect, but he takes care. It's a faith issue, and he takes care of his own. Giving glorifies God, and it is essential for your growth, your development, your maturity, and us being a healthy church. Now, usually at this point, most believers in the U.S. are saying, okay, that's enough. I'll submit to leaders. I love my brothers and sisters. I'll faithfully serve. I may even sacrificially give, but that's about as much as I can be committed to. Now, listen. Don't be a concrete Christian. You know what a concrete Christian is? They're either all mixed up in the concrete or they're fixed, right? And you don't want to be either. Because you surrendered your life to Christ, because he's your master, because you're his slave, because you don't want to just hear the word, but you want to do the word, you'll also seek, number five, intentionally engage in relationships. Intentionally engage in relationships for the purpose of growth. Listen, this is where the modern church in the U.S. and around the world has lost its way. The, the, the number one main command given by the resurrected Jesus Christ was given probably of a, of a gathering of more than 500 people. And Christ made sure that we understood what he wanted our lives to be about. And he said, listen, if you're going to be my people, you've got to make sure that you're involved in this process. What is that process? You know it. Let's look at it one more time. Matthew 28:19 to 20. Go therefore and what? Make disciples. "...of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the edge of the age." We are, the command here is make disciples. It is one main command. It is defined by three participles, going, baptizing, and teaching. That then tells you what make disciples is all about. And basically, the King of kings and Lord of lords, before he ascended into heaven, said, this is the non-optional issue in your life. In most churches today, it is, if we have time, we'll get to it. It cannot be that way. It cannot be that way in our lives, in your life. It cannot be. It is so vital. It is one of the main means of grace for God to work in your life. And the last phrase is very clear that this command is for you. Look at the last phrase in verse 20. Even unto the what? End of the age. Are we at the end of the age yet? Yes or no? No! Therefore this is for you. This is for you. And it's carried on in the New Testament in a variety of ways. Discipleship is still on the table and it is intentional relationships for the purpose of the gospel or growth in Christ. It is intentional relationships to either come to Christ And become like Christ. The going is that evangelistic part. The baptizing is identifying with Christ and his body. The teaching them to obey is to become all that Christ wants you to become. It's all there. And understand the issue that God is bringing out here is that simply stated, Christians are to pursue relationships with non-Christians intentionally so that you can share the gospel with them and they can become followers of Christ if the Lord wills. And Christians are also expected to pursue relationships with fellow Christians that can assist you to grow, to become more like Jesus Christ. And you're in that process together. It can be one-on-one. The normal process of the New Testament discipleship is friend groups or friend processes. Just as Christ discipled his men, now the body of Christ disciples his people. And understand, you need the relational investment of trusted brothers and sisters for into your life more than a sermon more difficult and different than a bible study discipleship is intentional relationships friends helping each other be filled with the spirit fleeing sin and pursuing christ it is initially even to come to christ it could be a group of men from your CG. It could be junior high staff gals. It could be guys from the jail. It could be uh, ushers. It could be all different kinds of groups. It doesn't matter who, as long as you're helping one another be filled with the Spirit, overcoming sin, pursuing likeness, If you're building a relationship with a non-Christian, you're sharing with them the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why we're on the planet. This is the command that the enemy has successfully removed from the local church today. Discipleship is designed to be men to men, women to women, couple to couple, it is preferred when there's usually someone who's maybe a little bit more mature, maybe they've gone around the track a few more times than you, because it even teaches us in Titus chapter 2 that the older women are to train the younger women to love their husbands, love their children. First Peter 5, 5 says, you younger men, come under, be subject to your elders, learn from them, grow from them, even though it is missing in most churches even though you've never done it, even though it makes you nervous to expose your life to a few trusted brothers and sisters, it is what Christ commands. It is what he commands. Listen, the will of God, which is discipleship, will never take you where the grace of God will not protect you and the power of God will not enable you. You are going to be exactly where he wants you to be. And there's an amazing blessing. And even Jesus says, lo, I will be with you in this process, Always. Again, if it's important to Christ, it should be important to you and important to me. And if it's important to you, you'll find a way. If it's not important to you, what happens today is you'll find an excuse. Don't make excuses. Finally, number six, you are to aggressively run to the finish line of completing Christ. Aggressively run to the finish line of completing Christ. Our goal as a church is not to get you involved. Our goal is not to grow a big church. Our goal is... And passion is not to see, you know, how many baptized members we can get. Our desire for each of you is the same desire that Christ had that Paul manifested when he said in Colossians 1.28. We proclaim him, Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man. What's the phrase? Now what does that mean? Complete in Christ. Let me make it simple for you. You just read the Great Commission. And the Great Commission, he says... Teaching them to obey how much? All that I've commanded you. Completing Christ is basically saying, I want to be complete in Christ. I want to be with Christ. I want to get to heaven. But as I get there, I want to be more and more of that person that I step through the door of heaven. There's less of a shock. (laughs) okay? I want to be living my life under the authority of God's word in every area. Let me say it again. I want to be living under the authority of God's word in every area. Will I do it perfectly, yes or no? No, but progressively, I want to see every area of my life seek to live by the word. That would mean in your marriage. I want to do it biblically. I want to do it according to the word of God. I want my parenting to be according... Not what society says, but according to the Word of God. I want my job. I want to work heartily, and I want to work aggressively the way that the the Scripture talks about it. I want my money to be according to the Word of God, not according to the secular pressures. I want my ministry, my thought life, my intimacy, my relationships, my free time, my emotions, my friendships, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, my employer, all to seek to live by the Bible to be under every area of the Scripture in every area of my life, to know what the Bible says and seek to live it. In our worship, we want to say, I'm all in. It's all of me. As we live our Christian life, we're saying in every area, even that one that is kind of out there, that, 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 that besetting sin, that one that I'm battling with all the time, I want to see progress in that area as well. Completing Christ is that fulfillment of obeying all that I've commanded you. It's, it's, it's what we want for you. It's what Christ wants for you to be complete in Christ. And as a church, we will settle for nothing less. And, and you know, there are people who will be uncomfortable with that. There will be people who will come to our church and they'll go, I don't, I don't want that. It's too, it's too much. But it's exactly what the Spirit of God wants. Are you ready? The Spirit of God wants one thing. You know what the Holy Spirit wants who indwells you? It's one thing. It's very clear in Scripture. He wants you to be like Jesus. Romans 8, he tells you he wants you to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's what it means to be complete in Christ. You're taking every area of your life and you're saying, what does the Bible teach? And I'm seeking to be under the authority of the word in every area. And that's the pursuit of every believer in this room. It's what the Lord wants of you. It is our priority. The church of Jesus Christ is to be filled with men and women, students and seniors who passionately pursue God's priorities for his glory. Christian culture has destroyed Christ's perfect design for his church. Absolutely destroyed it. But if each one of you determine to pursue God's priorities for His church, then we all together will see the restoration of the beauty of the Bride of Christ. And Christ will be on display. We taste it here at our church. My prayer is we continue to pursue it with all our hearts to run the race, to seek to win, to independently, uh, basically dependently, okay, exercise self-control, hit God's target, and it will require a majority of you willing to run after the Word in this manner, in every area. Will you? Will you? Are we going to be people who will be discipled, who will pursue being complete in Christ, who will interrelate with one another, who will give, who will serve in a way that Christ is put on display? Will we be those people? That's the design of the local church. And the church of Jesus Christ in America and the world has moved away. They've lost their way. And we're trying to say, no, let's not. Let's, as best we can, by the power of God, in dependence upon the Spirit of God, see Him manifest Himself. And it will require each of us to take steps, each of us to humble ourselves before the Lord. So take this home, if you would. Letter A each of these priorities assumes some truths about you. You know what it assumes? One that you're born again and two, that you're filled with the Spirit. In other words, you can't live the Christian life unless you're saved. Can I hear an amen? Can't do it. And unless you're filled with the Spirit, dependent upon Him, living according to the Word of God. You can't live the Christian life unless you're given a new life by Christ. And true salvation comes a new internal nature that wants to obey God's Word. And when you're born again, you're empowered to live by the truth. And as you're saturated in God's Word, given continual prayer, dependent on God's Spirit, you will make progress. You will grow. It will be difficult. It will be haphazard. It will be sometimes not as consistent as you hope, but you can become complete in Christ. Don't try to live the Christian life Unless you turn from your sin and repentance Unless you depend on Jesus Christ And his work on the cross by faith You put your whole life in his hands Now, you're saying, Chris, I don't know if I can pull this off And I'm going, yep, I got you So here's the step, are you ready? Pick one I don't care what it is it Could be giving, it could be discipleship it Could be your spiritual, just pick one area Just pick one today, pick one, put it in your head Alright, and then, are you ready? This is what I do So I'm just telling you what I do Put yourself in a situation where you have to exercise whatever you've committed to. Put yourself in a situation that you have to exercise whatever you committed to. So if you're saying I'm going to be discipled, then meet with a bunch of guys at Denny's. Okay, you got to go to Denny's because everything tastes like scrambled eggs. Everything, meet whatever doesn't matter. <laughs> you meet there and you just you're tr- working through truth together. And and when you don't show up, they're going to go where were you? Get back here next week. There's an expectation. You put yourself in a situation where you have to do it. You say, Chris, that's externals. Yep, and I use them all the time. I desperately need them in my life. Anybody else with me? I need to put myself in a situation where I'm like, I have to function the way that God wants me to function. So I force myself and take that step, and then people are going, where are you? Get in here. Let's go. Let's do this. I need the body. I want the body. Does that make sense? Do it together. Put yourself in that place to obey and serve in a ministry, serve in a group, do whatever you got to do. Letter B, treat every priority as normal, not average. Normal. All these six priorities are normal Christianity. The normal expectation. Listen, in the church today, it's not normal. But in the Bible, these are just normal expectations for every Christian. So you got to think biblically, you can't think culturally. You have to think biblically. These priorities are not pursued by the average Christian today. They're not. The normal Christian will pursue them. You don't want to be average, do you? You know what average means? Average means you compare yourself to other people. You know what? I start comparing myself to other Christians, you know, in our community, not necessarily in our church, but in our community. I'm thinking pretty good. I mean, I've got it together. You know what I mean? but I compare myself to Jesus Christ and I'm nothing. I compare myself to the Word of God and I got work to do. And that's the normal Christian. The average Christian feel good about themselves. The normal Christian is going, Lord, you and I got some work to do. That's where we're at. Treat every priority as normal. Don't say that's for another time. Say That's an expectation that God has placed on me. You need to be dependently cooperating with the Spirit of God in sanctification to bring every area of your life under the authority of the Word of God. That's normal Christianity, biblical Christianity, true Christianity, letter C. Develop a passion for spiritual reproduction. You and I need to be pursuing a great purpose, and that great purpose is listed here and the way that I phrase it, is to be used of God to make as many people like Jesus Christ in the shortest time possible. One of my main focuses in life is to be used of God to make as many people like Jesus Christ in the shortest time possible. You have great possibilities. You can invest in prayer for students, you can sponsor a training center guy, you can disciple children students, collegians and youth staff you can be open to participating in a coming church plant, you can go on a short term team and encourage a missionary, you can give her at a higher level, get to 10% and then give more go crazy and invite your unsaved neighbors over for a barbecue or a church event and share the gospel with them, pursue discipleship relationships with your men and women in your community group, because especially over the summer when you're not meeting regularly, healthy Christians and healthy churches love to influence others to come to Christ and become like christ that's our passion we want to glorify christ and serve him who gave his life and gave everything for us and therefore we respond in this manner letter d everyone is in process but get on with god's heart pursuit you may be wondering how a mother of four can actually pursue these priorities listen this is more than doing this is about a heart issue And if your heart's desire is to pursue God's plan and obey his word, if you pray and you're creative, God will somehow provide a way. God will provide a way. Watch how God makes it possible to some degree, even with four rugrats, two ailing parents, homeschooling, and a demanding career. The issue is, here it is. Ready? What you have to ask yourself before we leave today is this. Do I want to? Do I want to pursue these things? Because if in your heart of hearts... You want to. If you see it as important, if Christ sees it as important, then you see it as important, then you'll say, I'm going to somehow make time for these things that are important. And you're going to do it progressively. You're going to do it imperfectly, but you're going to do it because you either make a way to do it or you make an excuse. And the choice is yours. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would work in our hearts in such a way that we would be able to pursue your priorities, Father, that we would be more of the church that you want us to be. Father, we know these are heavy things and they're demanding things, and yet we know that we want to do them. We want to pursue them. We want to obey them because your word is so clear. And, Father, that we desire to obey you and respond to you and follow you. And give us a clear path. Give us a way in which we can pursue these things. And we'll thank you and praise you for what you'll do And we give you all the glory for what you'll do in working in our hearts and drawing even some to yourself. And thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.